Chapter Five: Brenda, Her School, and Her Club. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Brenda, Her School, and Her Club by Helen Leah Reed. Chapter Five: Miss Crawden's School. A girl's first day at a new school is very trying to her. The scrutiny which two or three dozen pairs of sharp young eyes give her is hard to bear. This ordeal is often more dreaded by a girl than many of the important events of her later years. Now Julia, although she was to go to school in her cousin Brenda's company, looked forward to her first day with considerable anxiety. In the first place, she was naturally shy, and in the second place, she had never regularly attended school. For the most part, her lessons had been given her by her father, but at times when they had stayed long enough in some place to make this possible, she had had special instruction from private teachers. Her father had been very fond of books and had bought many expressly for Julia's benefit. She was therefore much better read than most girls of her age. Her education too was ahead of that of the average girl of sixteen. Of this fact, Julia herself was unaware. She fancied that because she had gone to school so little, she would be found far behind her cousin Brenda and Brenda's friends. Before going to school, she had had an informal talk with Miss Crawden, in which she had revealed more to the keen mind of the latter than she had suspected. For Miss Crawden never wasted words, and she did not tell the young girl that in some studies she was far ahead of many of her pupils of the same age. The teacher's questions had been far-reaching, and she felt pleased at the prospect of having among her pupils one evidently so fond of books as Julia. The young girl, on the contrary, on the way to school with her cousin, expressed to the latter her fear at the prospect before her. "Oh, you needn't worry," said Brenda more patronizingly than she really intended. "Miss Crawden won't be hard with you. She knows you haven't been at school much." And even if you have to start in one of the lower classes, you'll probably be able to push on rather quickly. But even this did not reassure Julia. She was thinking less of her standing in the classes than of the reception she should meet from the girls. It was by no means comforting to feel the many strange eyes that followed her as she walked up the stairs with Brenda to enter the main schoolroom. Miss Crawden was busy in another room, and Brenda, who always had a great many things on her mind, Rushed off to speak to one of the girls, leaving Julia alone near the door. There were perhaps a dozen girls standing about in little groups of three or four. They did not mean to be unkind, but when they saw Julia, they not only glanced curiously toward her, but for this time ceased their conversation. When they began to talk again, it was not in the loud tone they had used before, and Julia would have been less than human if she had not received the impression that they were talking about her. Everyone knows how uncomfortable it is for a girl to feel that she is in the presence of people who are making comments upon her. As a matter of fact, what they said to one another was almost harmless. Is she Brenda Barlow's cousin? What is she in mourning for? How old is she? Do you suppose she's coming here to school? This was the kind of question exchanged by the girls, with here and there a less good-natured comment. I don't call her so very pretty. She don't look like Brenda. 
Wouldn't you say that dress was made in the year one? I never saw such sleeves. Unluckily, the girl who made this last remark was standing rather nearer Julia than she had realized. It happened that Julia herself, who usually cared little for fashion, was sensitive about these very sleeves. They had been made a little smaller than the prevailing mode required by a dressmaker, whom Julia had employed in a spirit of kindness without regard to her skill. She had not remembered when dressing that this was to be her first day of school. When she did recall this fact, she had not thought it worth while to change her gown. She flushed a little when she overheard the criticism, and walked further away from the groups toward Miss Crawden's desk. As she stood there, looking more serious than usual, she was more pleased to hear Nora's well-known voice exclaiming, "'Why, Julia, are you here all alone? Where's Brenda? Dear me, is this really your first day of school?' Julia smiled. I can't answer all your questions at once, but I don't know where Brenda is, and this is to be my first day of school. Is that why you look so mournful? We're not such a bad lot. Come, let me introduce you to some of my companions in misery. Then before Julia could object, she found herself receiving introductions to most of the girls in the room, even to the very one who criti whose criticism had annoyed her. She was a thin girl with light hair and eyes and eyelashes. Her chin was long, and her face was somewhat freckled. "'This is Brenda Barlow's cousin, Julia,' said Nora, pleasantly. "'Yes, I thought you were Brenda's cousin,' said the light-haired girl, turning toward Julia. "'Brenda had been dreading your coming to school.' Julia flushed, as any girl might, at a remark of this kind, even while she realized the unkindness of the speech." "'Nonsense, Frances,' said quick-witted Nora. "'I'm sure you never heard Brenda say anything so disagreeable.' But the light-haired girl had turned away. She was in the habit of making thoughtless remarks without caring whom they hit. Nora gave Julia's hand a gentle squeeze. "'Brenda's just as glad as I am that you're coming to school,' she whispered to Julia. But Julia shook her head half-sadly. She had already begun to see some of her cousin's peculiarities. By this time many girls were rushing in from the dressing-rooms, laughing and chattering, as if they must say as much as possible before school began. A few curious eyes were turned toward Julia, but most of the girls were so absorbed in their own affairs that they took no notice of the tall, slender stranger in her black dress. When Miss Crawden returned to the room, she welcomed Julia very cordially. "'I have arranged a seat for you here at the side near me,' she said. "'I had to have an extra desk brought in, as there was no vacant place. "'But I dare say that you will not mind being by yourself here.' The seat to which Miss Crawden pointed was in a little alcove at one side of her desk. It was so placed that it commanded a view of all the other desks in the room, yet it was not as conspicuous from the other desks as it seemed to poor Julia. When she took her seat, she felt as if everyone was looking at her, whereas, in fact, only the girls in the very front rows could see her plainly. Between Miss Crawden's desk and the front seat there was a row of settees, where those girls who formed Miss Crawden's special classes sat during recitation. There were other classrooms in various parts of the house, 
but the more advanced girls recited either to Miss Crawden or to teachers in the small adjoining room. Although Julia was less conspicuous than she imagined, it was not long before the whole school realized that a new girl had arrived. Most of them were too polite to show any surprise, but as each class filled through the room on its way to the recitation room, many curious glances were thrown in her direction. Miss Crawden had told Julia that she would require no regular work from her that day. "'Perhaps you would like to look over this history,' she had added, giving her a book. "'And after recess, you may like to join the class. "'By listening to the other classes this morning, "'you will get an idea of the work I expect.' So Julia divided the two hours before recess between listening to the recitations and glancing over the history. It happened to be a history of France— and the special chapter was one dealing with the region of Louis the Fourteenth. Julia paid much less attention to the book than she did to the girls who were reciting. It was all so new to her, for it was really true that she had never been in a school before. She admired the skill with which Miss Crawden asked questions, and she wondered if she would ever be able to give replies herself, as clear as those of some of the girls. Yet not all the girls, she observed, knew their lesson, and some of them showed great cleverness in concealing, or trying to conceal, this ignorance from Miss Crawden. The latter was unusually proficient in reading girls, and she generally recognized the evasive answer that was intended to conceal lack of knowledge. The second class of the morning was one in English history. The period, the beginning of the reign of Mary, Julia had been engaged with her own book, but she looked up to hear Miss Crawden saying, "'So Mary succeeded in the princes murdered in the tower. At least I understood you to say Edward V.' "'Yes,' answered a voice which Julia recognized as that of Brenda's friend Bell. "'Yes, she succeeded her brother, the murdered prince, who had been beheaded by Catherine of Aragon.' Miss Crawden did not smile, and Bill could not see the look of surprise on the faces of some of her classmates. But unfortunately she could see Julia's face and the involuntary smile on the latter's lips. She turned very red, and while Miss Crawden proceeded to set her right, she registered a vow of dislike against that prig of a Julia, who evidently knew more history than she did. Julia, too, caught the disagreeable look that flashed from Belle's eyes, and she greatly regretted that smile. Belle was one of those girls who seldom study a lesson thoroughly. She always had vague general ideas of the topic under consideration, gained by a rapid survey of the pages assigned for a lesson. When she could do so unobserved, sometimes during recitation, she would look between the covers of her book to refresh her lagging memory. Nora and Edith and Brenda were also in the class with her, and sometimes one or the other of them would prompt her to save her from disgrace. Nora occasionally had pangs of conscience, and announced that she considered looking in a book or prompting dishonorable, but sometimes she yielded to Belle's signals for help over a hard place. Belle did not often signal, for she relied as a general thing on her own fluency of language to conceal her lack of knowledge. 
Miss Crawden, however, had what Bell called an aggravating way of making her repeat her words until her mistakes were displayed in all their nakedness to the rest of the class. "'It's bad enough,' she said to a group surrounding her at recess. "'It's bad enough to have Miss Crawden always down on one. But really, I can't stand it if Julia is to sit where she can watch everything I do when I'm reciting to Miss Crawden. I shouldn't think that you girls would like it either,' she concluded." "'Oh, we're not afraid. We generally know our lessons,' answered Frances Pounder, the girl whose careless remark had hurt Julia's feelings earlier in the day. "'Well, it doesn't matter whether you know your lessons or not. You can see for yourself that it's very funny for Miss Crawden to put any girl in so conspicuous a place. Right beside her, almost. I hate favoritism.' "'Why, how you talk, Belle?' This cousin of Brenda's hasn't been in school a day yet, and you talk of favoritism. Well, why shouldn't she have been in the history class with us? She told me she was going to have French history with the older girls. Just think of it. She's only a little older than we, and she's going to recite with girls nearly eighteen. She isn't so very pretty, is she? said another girl. And so a conversation went on, which luckily Julia could not hear. She spent the recess walking up and down with Nora, who was rapidly becoming her most intimate friend. End of chapter 5 Recorded by Deborah Knight in the state of Illinois, February 4, 2011